thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. time of worship we just had. I hope that you have felt the presence of the Lord. You've been able to enter into worship, and I'm so thankful for those that lead us in worship each and every week. You know, we start a new series called Believable, and we're right in the middle of that series, and uh, today's message is entitled, Come to Jesus Moment. A come to Jesus moment. I remember my come to Jesus moment. You probably do too. I was packing to go to the hospital, and I'd put all the things in my overnight bag. They were getting ready to take a muscle biopsy out of my leg. And I would learn later that they sent it all over the country and around the world to try to determine what was happening with me. And as I was packing that bag, I I just at the last minute reached over and grabbed the Bible that my grandmother had made sure that I had gone to Sunday school promotion day in third grade so that I would get a Bible of my own. It was very important to her that I had my own Bible. Well, I had never read it, really haven't cracked it open, but I threw it into that bag. And, and as I was laying in that hospital bed with nothing to do, and here we are in the middle of, you know, in the middle of, you know, the midday programs with all the soap operas, it really wasn't anything for a 16-year-old boy to do. I remember picking up that Bible and I began to read it. Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus started getting a little dry. Numbers was way dry. And I said, there's got to be something else. And I didn't know the Bible, but I did turn like I would any other book to the table of contents. And I saw that it was divided into two books, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I thought, well, that's why I don't like it. It's not the new stuff. I want the new stuff. So in my 16-year-old mind, I turned to Matthew and whatever page number that was, 1782 or whatever, and I began to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when I got to John chapter 3, I read John chapter 3 again. I was kind of like Nicodemus in that moment, if you know that chapter. Like, it was confusing to me. I didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And I read it a third time, and the Spirit began to deal with me, and I read it the fourth time. And then I understood. I put the Bible down, closed my eyes. I pushed my head back into the pillow with nobody in that room. I just prayed the only prayer that I knew how to pray in that moment. Jesus, if you want me, you can have me. I don't have any money. I don't have a great relationship with my family. I don't have a, I don't, I'm not incredibly smart. I haven't been focused on schoolwork. I've been focusing on sports and other things, but, but Lord, I don't have really anything to offer you, but if you want me, you can have me. It was in that moment, it was not an audible voice, but I could hear it clearly and distinctly. I'll take you. I was chosen in that moment. I opened my eyes. I was so shocked. There had to be somebody else in the room that God wanted more than me. But God was saying, no, I want you. And I I was blown away and I began to cry. And it was in that moment that I realized that I was called into the ministry. It was my come to Jesus moment. See, I believe that everybody has a come to Jesus moment at least once in your life. And maybe it's like my life. Maybe it's when life is down. Maybe it's calamity, when things are going bad. Maybe when you're going through trials or tribulations. That's when a lot of people have their come to Jesus moment. Well, that's what happened to in our story today. There's a certain man, his name was the royal official. And he was, he was an official for Herod Antipas. And the royal official had either heard of the miracles of Jesus or actually been at the wedding of Cain of Galilee. Either way, he believed that Jesus was the answer to his problem. 
Perhaps we'll see later that his faith was based solely upon miracle signs and wonders. He was likely Jewish and wealthy, and he possessed great authority. But listen to me, even though he, he had possessions, position, and power, he could not save his son from his impending death. He most likely had exhausted all of his options using his wealth to try to save his son. What parent wouldn't do everything they could to take care of their son? So he is left with only one option. Find the one who turned the water into wine. Find the one that everybody's talking about, the miracle worker. Go and find Jesus. And so the royal official leaves his dying son and travels 20 miles to find Jesus. He leaves Capernaum where he lives, goes along the sea, turns at Tiberias and begins to make his way up the mountains until he gets to Cana, about 1,250 feet of elevation. The journey takes two days by foot. And once he arrives, he finally finds Jesus, the solution to his problem. And there's five observations. I hope you're following in the notes in the app. And the first observation is this is found in verse 47 of chapter 4. It's the plea. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, he went to him and he begged him, underline that word, he begged him to come and to heal the son who was close to death. Notice he didn't send a servant, he didn't go to a priest, he didn't have Jesus brought to him, but he went to Jesus personally. There's an act of desperation that we see coming from him. And we see it in the word begged. I had you underline it just a moment ago. The verb is in the imperfect tense, which means he asked and kept on asking. He literally was begging Jesus as Jesus was maybe even moving about. He continued to follow Jesus and begged and begged and begged. He would not stop nor take no for an answer. This was his last resort. His son was dying. And if Jesus doesn't come through, he'll lose his son. You know, I think the royal official is a lot like you and me. That we try everything in our power to, to change a circumstance or a situation. Or we try everything within our knowledge to make something work. And we make Jesus the last resort instead of the first support. Now listen to me very carefully. I'll say that again because I think it's important. We make Jesus the last resort instead of the first support. What if we were to go to Jesus every day and ask Jesus what he wants for our lives and empower us and to help prepare us? We would be better prepared for those moments in our life, but we come to God in those last resort moments. Listen, maybe you're in a last resort moment today, and that's okay. Because just like me, I was in a last resort moment. I had my come to Jesus moment. Maybe this is your moment to come to Jesus too. You know, when parents of a sick child are around, there is absolutely no barrier that's strong enough to keep them from pleading for help. He believed that Jesus was the answer. He believed that Jesus could heal. He believed in the miracle worker. So the royal official didn't approach Jesus, notice, with authority demanding that Jesus heal his son, even though he could. He didn't try to buy Jesus' miracle, even though he had great wealth. But he approached Jesus in mercy. You know, if we're being honest, sometimes we have a sense of entitlement as Christians. We even quote scriptures and say, God, your word says like we're entitled to God doing a miracle in our life. Really, our attitude should be that of mercy. God, we come and out of your mercy, would you do something for us because of your loving kindness? Lord, we, are, we need you in our lives. We should come with that humility of heart and of life. And it brings me to the second observation, which in your notes is the problem. I mean, the problem to the royal official was apparent, right? His son is dying. And apart from intervention from Jesus, he's going to lose his son. 
We usually see Jesus as being compassionate and gracious and loving and merciful and kind. But Jesus starts here in this story with a rebuke. You see, the problem, not from Jesus' perspective, isn't the fact that his son is dying. Jesus can bring healing. It's the fact that he, along with all those that had gathered, the Galileans, are only believing upon him because of he's doing the signs and the wonders. Listen to me, a faith built on miraculous signs is not a complete faith. A faith built on miraculous signs is not a complete faith. His rebuke isn't only for the royal officials, but for everyone that is there. Because he's telling them that, look, your faith is incomplete. You're only following me because of signs and wonders. Here's what he says in verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. What does he say? You'll never believe upon me for eternal life. You'll never receive me as the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, if your faith is based upon what Jesus does in a particular moment in your life, then that kind of faith can't possibly sustain you for all of your life and through all the trials and tribulation that life provides. Maybe you know Ted Turner. He's the founder of CNN, TNT, and, and also uh, TBS. And on one, more than one occasion, Ted Turner has disparagingly said things about Christianity. He's even said that Christianity is a religion for losers. But what you might not know about Ted Turner is this, is that when he was younger, he was studying to be a missionary. That's right. He, he was striving to be a missionary to take the gospel to the world. But his sister, who contracted a disease that was an immune system disease, she died this slow and very painful death. And after she died, he turned his back on God and Christianity. See, this is what I call a temporal faith. It's dependent upon your moment in time, a particular incident or circumstance. And that's the only way that you know how to live your life. It's very shallow. See, temporal faith is based upon what God has done, but eternal faith is on who God is. We're not focused on whether he does or does not do a miracle, although we know that he can. And I believe that God can do something in your life. I believe that God can turn it around because that's what he does. Just like God healed my body, I believe that God can bring healing to your body. But if he doesn't, it doesn't change who he is. We don't have a temporal faith that's based on circumstance or whether he does or does not do miracles. We have an eternal faith based upon who God is, the one true living God, Jesus, the Savior of the world that takes away all of our sin. The Apostle Paul had what he called the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that God would take it away. And all three times, God, in essence, said this, No, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't always give us the answer we want. Sometimes the answer is just simply, no, I'm not going to do that. We don't know why, but sometimes that's just his answer. There's many times that I've walked away from praying for people at an altar in a hospital and asked God, why? God, why did you not do a miracle? God, why didn't you not bring healing? Why didn't you not do something? I thought it would be the best solution that all the family members would then believe and they would come to Christ. Why? I don't know. I still don't know to this day, but it doesn't change who God is. And my faith isn't based upon circumstances or whether I see a miracle or don't see a miracle. And I, your faith shouldn't be built on those things either. It shouldn't be based upon seeing things. It should be based upon knowing who God is. Third observation is this. It's found in verse 49. It's the persistence. 
Notice what the royal official does. Jesus just rebuked him, and the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Like, we're going to leave on this two-day journey. We're going to Capernaum right now. His persistence reminds me of the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed and needed a healing. And she came to Jesus, and she said, Have mercy on me. And she began to cry out to God. She began to cry out to Jesus, Heal my daughter. Jesus didn't even respond or even notice that she was there seemingly. And the disciples came to him and said, let her go. I mean, release her, get her out of here. Jesus then turned to her and said, I'm sent to only the lost sheep of Israel. And at that moment, she came closer to Jesus, knelt before him, exclaimed, Lord, help me. Jesus told her it wasn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But the woman was persistent. She retorted this, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus said, woman, you have great faith and your quest is granted. The official, the royal official, the Canaanite woman, their persistence paid off. What about you? What about your persistence? James 5, 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Persistence pays off. It did for them and it will for us. So let me just ask you, how about you? Are you still believing God for that miracle? Are you believing God for those things in your life? And, or have you stopped taking him to the Lord? Have you stopped really bombarding? Have you stopped being fervent and taking those things to God? I mean, have you stopped praying and believing God for the miracle that you believe that God had spoken over your life that he promised you a long time ago? I believe that he's a God of miracles and in his timing, I believe that it'll come to pass. But you have to continue to be persistent and have an unwavering faith. Look at the fourth observation found in verses 50 through 54. It's the promise. Jesus said it right away. He said, go. He tells this royal servant, your son lives. That's the promise. And the man took Jesus at his word and he departed. And while he was still on his way, his servant met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time of when the son got better, he said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized this was the exact time which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his entire household believed. You know, the words go, your son will live, is in the present imperative voice, emphasizing this. It is a word of power. It is a word of divine healing. And it underscores the continuing power of life that Jesus can give. So, undoubtedly, in that moment where he said those words, go, your son lives, undoubtedly he felt the power of those words. They were just simple words, but they weren't simple because they were, they were said by Jesus himself. And that changed everything. They weren't words simply spoken by a man. They were more than that. For Jesus is the Logos. He is the very word of God. He is all-seeing, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-loving, he's all-gracious, he's all-merciful, and he knows the end from the beginning. And when he speaks, he's speaking as the God himself, and his words are powerful and full of life. And so the royal official took him at his word. He felt that something energized him on the way, and he begins his two-day journey home. But wait, what's interesting is he didn't start right away. <clears throat> That's right. We can kind of see a change of faith happening in this royal official because he didn't leave that moment. He stayed the night. I don't know what he did. Maybe he got a room. Maybe he went shopping, ate at his favorite restaurant since he was there. But he didn't start off until the next day. 
For while he was on his way, the scripture says, a servant met him. And he said, when was the fever gone? He goes, yesterday. I don't know about you, but if God spoke to me and healed my son and I believed it, I think maybe I would start running, but not him. He had the confidence in those words that were spoken. Those words did something in his life. Those words caused him to say, it is done. It is finished. Amen. And he was able to relax and feel the peace of God in that moment. You know, when he found out from his servant that his son actually had lived and it was at the exact moment that Jesus spoke those words. Overjoyed, most likely he ran home praising God, which leads me to that final observation today. Number five is the proclamation. Look in verse 53 of John 4. And so he and all of his household believed. When he arrived home, he must have shared the story and the account of his encounter with Jesus with the entire family. In fact, the word family means the extended family, which would include the servants. So all the people on in this house or on this farm, every single one of them, they give their life to Jesus after he tells the story. He proclaims what God had done. Can I just challenge you, when God does something in your life, it's our responsibility to share that. The Bible says you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. By telling your testimony over and over and over, you're empowering yourself, but you're also being a witness of what God can do in somebody else's life because God is no respecter of persons. What He does for one, He will do for another. I don't doubt that Jesus and John got the entire full story once they arrived in Capernaum. Later on, when they were on their trip, and John saw the special significance of this healing, and so he included it in his, he included it in his uh, gospel. It was a proclamation of what God had done. Can I just ask you, what are you believing God for? What miracle or do you need to continue to be persistent in? And if God has done something in your life, what's the last thing that God has done? Maybe to increase your faith, maybe to feel the power of those words, maybe to feel the power of that moment. Share that story with someone this week. Share the story of what God has done. Maybe God hasn't done anything miraculous like he has in my life and like he's done here, but he's done something that's beyond miraculous. You see, he moved you from darkness into light. He took you when you were lost in your sin and he loved you so much that he brought you into his own family. He put his arms around you. He welcomed you. He gave you a, a robe of righteousness. He put a ring on your finger, signifying that you're a part of the family of God. He put a crown upon your head. He put sandals under your feet. You are no longer a beggar in this world, but you're a child of the Most High God. What an amazing story. When God reaches down and brings us out of that miry clay and puts us on a sure foundation found in Him. So I'm asking you, tell the story. And maybe your story starts right now in this moment. I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer with me and then click the link below so that we can follow up with you and send you some information. It's so important because your story is about to begin. Your story of salvation, your story of maybe rededication, of coming back to God, your story is about to happen right now. And when it does, I encourage you, just like many in the Bible did, go and tell somebody about it. Say, I gave my life to Christ today. And see what God wouldn't do in this man's household. The entire household believed because of one story. It could be your story that changes your whole home, that changes your friends, your family, changes your workplace. So what about you? Are you ready to come to Jesus?
Are you ready to have your come to Jesus moment like I did, like the royal official did? Because this is your come to Jesus moment right now. Would you close your eyes wherever you're watching this and say this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for loving me. From this moment on, I'm going to live for you. Amen. I believe if you prayed that prayer, that Jesus came into your heart and took your sin and threw it as far as the east is from the west, he's going to remember it against you no more. Friend, today's a new day. Click on the link below. We want to celebrate with you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Have an incredible week. Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.